0: Hi, I'm Sherry
1: Fella, the founder of BloomBase. And I'm Allison Loughran, partner at BloomBase. Welcome to the Power 2 podcast. On this podcast, we explore power from a feminine perspective, how it shows up in and with people from diverse experiences. We want to explore how, when, and why humans feel powerful, and when they don't, how to get there. Power 2 is personal power, the ability to choose our own states and behaviors.
0: Our intent with this conversation isn't just to have an intriguing conversation. Our intent is to have an impactful one, one that opens up possibilities and may even change behaviors. Welcome to Power 2.
1: Welcome back to the power to podcast in the fight forward series. And in this next series, we have two guests with us once again, Amber Williams and Merida Taylor, and we hope you check out their bios and background. And I just feel, as I always do in this space, really grateful to have the conversation we had today. We get into some hard spaces and get into some hopeful spaces as well. And to me, it's just a testament of the power of positive intent and vulnerability. And as Amber says in the conversation you're just about to hear, inclusion is a contact sport. And I think the hope the four of us got back as leaders in business is organizations constantly dismantle systems and create new ones all the time. And we can begin again in those corporate systems. And we can create systems wherever we are at work, at home, in our communities that are inclusive and that open up opportunity for all to realize their potential. The arc of change is long. and We talk about that. And it is fueled by hope. And we talk about that. And conversations like these give me the courage to find hope again and again and again. So welcome to the Power 2 podcast. Today we have Amber and Meredith talking with us. Martin Luther King Day seems appropriate. And what we're going to cover today is how do we fight forward in terms of our power to influence in the workplace? And so the first question I want to ask, Meredith, I'll come to you first, and you, Amber, is what does power mean to you? And so we'll start with Meredith, and then I'll go, I'll go over to Amber.
2: So power to me,
1: I think it means opportunity.
2: And that's probably the best way for me to just describe it is it's an opportunity to do something, ability, an opportunity. That's how I like to think about it for
1: myself. Nice, nice. And Amber, how, what does power mean to you?
3: For me, power is always in the lens of leverage, the ability to, to make something happen, whether that's through, you know, influence or physical force, uh, but always just to sort of leverage the ability that you have to create Activity action.
1: Love it. Nice. Thank you for that.
3: We've been so excited to
1: talk to you today because of just your rich relationship as colleagues and friends, the different perspectives you've had, even though you have similar contexts throughout your career. And I guess I want to start with why does it feel like it's important to have this conversation in terms of the workplace, in terms of what we as white women in particular are trying to learn and understand and take action on? And and just why did it feel important for you today to have a conversation about this? Yeah, Amber, you want to start?
3: Sure. I, I think it's important because, you know, the connection that I have with Meredith and the relationship that we have was never about race, although it was always from our very first meeting sort of a part of our relationship. But it was never about that, but it informed you know, both of our worldviews. And I thought it was really fantastic and has been fantastic that we've always been able to talk about that and how our worldviews and perspectives and experiences, although converging sometimes in the same places, manifest differently and affected the way we reacted to things, but and influenced the way that we work together. And so I, I think it's it's been impactful for me. It was at, at the time that it started, and continues to be a huge influence on how I navigate relationships today. And and I think it can be, it's a good story and experience that I've learned from, and that I think could be helpful for for other folks looking to bridge the color line in female relationships. Love
1: that, love that, Meredith. How about for you? What would you say? What's what's important about this having this conversation for others to learn from? I absolutely agree with everything Amber said. And
2: I think it's important to have the conversation today because it's really a pivotal time in the world. And Amber and I have the track record. And we've had a lot of difficult conversations and great learnings and have, you know, really stayed together through all of it. And I now have the ability to look back and say, and think about some of the interactions and some of the issues that we faced and have the ability to see it from a different lens today. So I think that's one of the
1: reasons I'm looking forward to having this conversation today. So great. I'm so excited, David. So you mentioned, you both mentioned this, like how much you learned. What what are the biggest learnings so far in your relationship? But I know you're constantly adapting to new stuff, but what what are some of the biggest learnings that you have that are top of mind when you say that?
3: For me, I think um, some of the biggest learnings came over time. You know, when I met Meredith, she was my boss. And so the way you navigate relationships, conversations in that context is different than what happens when you're not. And so there was a long time we didn't really work together and still related. It, for me, it was some the first time that I earthed some of the issues that had come up in our relationship that I felt that we dealt with, but that I hadn't always been wholly transparent with. And I cared about her. And I always believed that she was genuinely interested and invested in me. And so I raised things to her at later times. And for me, the learning was that, that, that it's okay to do that. And in fact, it's helpful to do that. And I don't know that we'd be friends today had I not done that because I would have been harboring thoughts and feelings and attributing judgment to those without giving her the benefit of responding or sharing her perspective, and so that was for me the biggest learning that I carried through, not just in my relationship with Meredith, but but more uh, broadly in other relationships. Oh
1: man, I love that, Meredith. What's your response? That's powerful.
2: So uh, when I look back and think of some of the learnings, um, I mean, there's just so many stages. When Amber came to work with me, yeah, I was her supervisor. But um, it was one of my first opportunities to lead. Boss. Okay, whatever. I was the boss. Um, But it was one of my first chances to have a formal leadership role in the organization. And I needed the feedback. And like Amber said earlier, it wasn't about race for me. It was just like, I'm in this role and I need help. And I need my people to, to trust me enough to bring information. And I need to hold it tight and learn from it. And that she did it. And so we were in that boss relationship for a period of time, but for many years, not. But what I got out of it was this complete trust in Amber. And so if she brought something to me, like, I'd be like, well, it's true because there's no reason. And Amber has such a unique perspective and ability to articulate it in such a way that it's meaningful and it would, it would impact my thought process or my opinion or something. So she became, you became really a trusted partner. And we kind of weaved in and out of each other's professional lives through this organization for years. And it wasn't just about the work. It was about personal lives. It was about society in general um, and situations in work. So, you know, we just mentioned right before we got on this call about Amber coming over and having Thanksgiving with me and your family and my family. And it's just, you know, this is just, Amber is a trusted partner for me. Oh. I wanted to say,
0: I'm I'm really interested just to hear more about some of the things that you guys learned from each other. Because Amber, you said something just a minute ago about how important that you thought your guys' friendship was because of your ability to sort of talk about, to talk across the color lines. And that's something for, that for me personally, it's a challenge for me, even in my family. I have a sister who's mixed and I had a lot of fear around having those conversations for for fear of doing it wrong, or saying something that can inadvertently be hurtful. So, it to me that you guys did that even as friends in that relationship feels pretty impressive. So, I would I would love to hear more about even some of those conversations where maybe it wasn't the most comfortable situation, but how you addressed some of that some of those things.
3: I mean, I, part of it it relates to what Meredith talks about when we we bonded very quickly, you know, when we met, and so the foundation of trust. Um, and always assuming positive intent, even when there are hurt feelings involved, enabled us to sort of deal with the tough stuff. And some of those things, uh, when you just think about regular work stuff, right, to me, there were a couple of layers of it. There some of it was race uh, in an environment where I was certainly in the minority from a representation standpoint. And some of it was, being someplace that Meredith was from, and I was an outsider in that respect, I wasn't from the area I didn't know people, so she was able to move around and engage at work in a way that was more frictionless than me, um some of it because of her whiteness, and some of it because she was one of the guys i mean <laughs> she was she belonged that people knew her and they trusted her, and you know, I had layers of otherness that were harder to bridge. And some of the conversations I recall having with her fairly early were how I wished that I had had more support sort of gaining entree into rooms instead of having to earn it myself. Had she sort of, even, even if there was no business reason for her to be involved, had she come in and sort of vouched for me, it would have made sort of the uh, onboarding process smoother. I wouldn't have had to work so hard to gain, earn the trust and confidence Of others. And she didn't recognize that I needed that because she was confident in my competence. And she didn't recognize necessarily what my otherness, how that was creating some barriers and obstacles for me. And so I'd say that was a conversation we had. That was a difficult conversation for me to have with her. And it was hard for her to say because I'm basically saying, you have a blind spot here. I don't think it's malicious, I don't think it's intentional, but there's a real impact. And this is how it affects me. And it's, it's made things, and I feel like I'm I'm struggling a bit more than I would need to. But I don't think I said it in real time. I said it in retrospect saying, if you had done this, you know, which is kind of unfair, but still a necessary conversation to have.
1: Uh, right. It, yes, yeah. like that, what you just said, all of that. But then what you just said, Amber, about like, and it was even in retrospect. Like, I think so many of us put, this pressure on ourselves. Like, why can't I think of that then? I wish I would have thought of that. Then. None of us can when we're like triggered or under duress. And I think that that is part of the many learnings I think people get out of this day is what you just said is so powerful. Like, you may not even been clear about it or even if you were how to say it until later. And there's still positive impact in that.
2: And for me, honestly, had you said it at the time it was happening, I don't know that I would have agreed with it. Because I think today I can look back and go, of course, absolutely. <laughs> there is all sorts of otherness happening. But at the time, I think I would have, and I probably did, even when you gave me the retrospective feedback, thought to some extent everybody had to earn it. And I didn't recognize the impact of the otherness, I think, at the time. I heard you and it made me think about it. I just thought about it from a broader perspective of, well, okay, so how can how can I make this entry better for everybody, regardless of female, you know, race, gender, whatever. Today, I can see it in a different light. Absolutely can.
3: I I have to respond to that because I, I love that you just said that. And it means a lot because that is where we are now. What I think is a huge barrier for so many of these conversations is that if I say it was hard for me to, you know, build the relationships and earn the trust. And so often the response is, it's hard for everybody, right? And huh. so it dismisses um, how layers of otherness create more extraordinary barriers than some others might have when they don't have the same differences to overcome. And so I, you know, that just means a lot to hear you say that, but it, it just sort of rang true that I, I can't recall how many conversations I've had over the past year where I've talked about, well, this is upsetting to everyone. And I'm like, well, you don't walk around in this body and you don't have brown boy children um, that when you see certain things happening, you can see faces that resemble people in your family. That's a different layer and burden that I carry and experience that I have. And I, at these days, demand for that to be acknowledged. It used to be, I desire. But when you talk about power and leverage, do I always have the leverage to demand that it be acknowledged. I can't really make someone feel differently, but I certainly can express it more forcefully and then make decisions about how I'm going to engage as a result of that. I love that. Mm.
1: And what you just said to me is so powerful for a white woman to hear in a different way. And Allison and Meredith, I'd love your reaction to this as well as yours. Amber is what I'm about to say is that what I've learned the most, particularly this past year is that I need, I need to not only trust that's your experience and that I may not even understand it. I need to feel it with you and act on that, not what I think. Like what made me think about that, was as what, not what I think as a white woman, but to trust you when you're saying that and what does that feel like and how can I impact that? What you said about Meredith and Meredith, your complete confidence in her competence. That's great. And I think I do that. I did that a lot in my career too where I probably did the same thing Meredith it was like, Amber, you're fine. I trust you. You're totally competent. Well, yes, you are. That's not the point. You're not hearing me. That's not the problem I'm trying to address here. I think what you just said is so powerful for white women to hear. Does that make sense to you guys? Or you think and um, did I miss it? It does make sense to me. It it resonates with me. This is the only thing I can say to that. Yeah. I was thinking the same thing too,
0: Sherry, because I feel like that is a challenge for so many people, myself included. And as you were saying that, Amber, I was like, why is that so hard for people that if it's not your experience, you can't get there. And I, I love that you pro- that you provide that frame, Sherry. It's like, just sit and feel it with me. Just don't, you don't even have to say, don't even have to agree, but just
1: acknowledge the feeling and sit in that and don't try to do anything else to it. Yeah. To me, it's, it's become kind of full circle. Like it, And I don't want to diminish this at all because I don't have your experience, Amber. It's like, all of us work for this awful boss, but the awful boss doesn't treat me as badly as she or he treats you three. And I go, hey, I get it as bad, but you know, I'm good. Like, that's a values question for me, right? So it's kind of, or the friend we have that is backstabbing, but she doesn't do that to me, so I'm good. Like, To me, this is a values thing, not about even you, Amber. It's my value. I got to decide what I value and I'm going to act on, not just this is, oh, I'm going to be a martyr for Amber. No, it's not, that's important. And we need to understand that. But for me, it's become, no, this is also about Sherry Fellow, who you're going to be. What values do you have?
3: Well, I mean, I think part of what needs to be reconciled is sort of what is the feeling that underlies the reaction. And what it is is feeling diminished, right? and so if you center yourself as we all tend to do in everything, and then we feel like somebody else's experiences decenter us in ways that make us feel insecure or uncertain of our place and our standing, then our reaction is to protect that and to sort of get back to you know stasis and the reality of the world that we're living in when we're being you know uh through the anti-racist context is that we live in a world where whiteness is centered. And so whenever there's some otherness and whether it's a black person, a Brown person, um, that is, it feels like they're kind of moving into that space. You know, it's, it's very, it's a natural human response. It's not an excuse, but sort of being aware of that is the first step to not feeling it with the other person Maybe not even getting to understanding, but at least accepting that there are realities that you don't experience, but they are still legitimate and they deserve to be acknowledged, even if that's the only place you start. You can't get past the acknowledgement, but the acknowledgement is, is critical and you can't do anything else if you can't acknowledge that someone else has an experience different than yours and that it might be materially worse. In a way that challenges your worldview. Yes.
1: That is so well said, Amber. That's a much, acknowledgement is a much better word than the feeling. I feel everything. So that's my word, of course. But the acknowledgement piece, oh my God. I just don't, yeah, it's, it's a much more powerful way to describe it. The thought that continues to bubble is, Amber, when you said,
2: I maneuvered seamlessly, whether it was earned or whether it was because I was white, whether because I just didn't create waves, whatever, it didn't matter. I had that ability. And when you experienced that, that was years in, you know, and so differentiating that from kind of my onboarding, initial onboarding, yeah, we all have the stories, I I just come back to that recognition that it was a lot more than just the struggle that all of us had to find that ease. And honestly, you know, at this point, I think was it ever easy? And I think it got much more difficult for all of us. But having stayed connected to you for so much of in the entire time you were, we were together in that organization, I know it was really never easy or with ease of progressing through and kind of getting into your footing completely.
3: Well, I mean, I think that's sort of, you know, what is now, you know, McKinsey and, and others the studies are the ABA this past summer came out with a study that there's an acknowledgement that Black women have unique challenges in the workplace by virtue of being Black women in the workplace. This is not, this has nothing to do with your competence, your uh, profession. There are just, we are still almost, you know, foreigners to some extent. And so whatever the progress looks like, and there has been lots of progress over the years, the resistance particularly for Black women in leadership, is strong. And I'm glad we're having this conversation because I, I believe that there are many people that would like to believe that they are supportive. I think white women have a particular role to play in terms of initiatives that are more inclusive and recognize the specific challenges that Black women face so that we don't all get lumped together as trying to overcome the same barriers. And it's just a conversation, I think, that's just, as you've pointed out, that it's just hard to have. And I have found that to be consistent, not universal, but that on the whole, in group settings, when you're talking about forming programs and initiatives, to identify and call out unique challenges that Black women have is not always well-received by white women, because it is threatening to the centering of white women in women's initiatives. And why is that? I was just going to ask that. Why is that?
1: I, clearly, Amber, maybe you might even have better insight into this, but please, no, I don't expect you an to answer, but you might have better insight. I don't get it. And I hear this not even, I hear it in different ways. This context, for sure, even... Female doctors say it's not the male doctors they have issue with it's the female nurses or for lawyers it's the female paralegals, not their male counterpart or i'm not saying men don't have their own role. i just I'm really trying to understand this for for us white women in general, like why is that I think it's
3: because we 're taught well it's, an taught a, it's a question frankly, white women need to figure out how to answer for yes. themselves yes um, I, I certainly have theories and impressions. a lot of it is just socialization society has placed white women at the pinnacle of womanhood. And so, you know, there is a presupposition from the time you're born by all the images around you, all the dolls in the store, all the images on TV, is that white women belong in positions of prominence. Mm -hmm. And so that is the assumption, whether people ever consciously appreciate that or not. And the reason that black people are so aware of it is because we, we have to look really hard to find black dolls and to we have to look for go to the bookstore and go to the african american section to find books that are about us or images that are about us or we have to wait for black history month to see a showcase of that and so we know that we're not the center but it is assumed that that's what's normal and so that's at its core you know what is being challenged when we're saying make room is that, what do you mean make room? I didn't realize there wasn't room, right? If you are, it's just, this is the natural way things are. And it's true. And so how do you, and that's a question I I really want to hear you guys answer. Like, how How is it that you've come to have a different perspective that's different than what the standard is? You
0: know, I'll answer that because to me it's, I'm having a, a mini epiphany because it's, to me, it's the same way that I feel about men and that like what you just said, Amber, that idea that like, Hey, you know, there's room for everyone at the table. Right. But yet when it's a woman turned that way towards gender, but when you turn the, the other way as a woman toward race, then you have that same feeling. Oh, well, if there's more women at the table and they're women of color and like that, it's more for you means less for me. This is my own personal theory of my own personal feeling. It's that proximity to power that if someone else takes away part of mine, that it's less, that I'm lessened. That's my my personal theory, that it's the diminishment of my own versus an enhancement of the rest of us, of
1: yeah, all of scarcity, us. Scarcity versus abundance. Yeah. Yeah. And it's such an interesting question. You've, you've gone back to us, Meredith. You want to dive in? You want, you want me to, you look like you have a thought bubble above your head. So I do.
2: Yeah. I do. It's like right here. Yeah, I had written down scarcity as well. I don't know that that's the full answer. Um, it's interesting, Amber, when you said, when you're looking for, when you see white women, they're in positions of power or whatever the pinnacle. And I'm like, I mean, my initial response is Really, I have to look pretty hard to find women in a CEO spot, you know, so my reaction is maybe that's part of it. And I love your challenge back is we have to answer this for ourselves. But I just think, you know, that's an interesting perspective and something for me to really go back and think through because I see it as a a male, like every Barbie doll, maybe they're white. If I see a female white Barbie doll, she's got big boobs and I don't you know, or she's got blonde, long, beautiful hair. And I don't. And, you know, so I'm like, that's not, that's not my model. I'm looking at like, where's somebody that looks like me? So again, it comes back to what we also said earlier, which is, it's not the me too part. Like, of course, it's just, maybe it's the scarcity piece. Maybe it's part of it that we're fighting along to trying to make it to, to, you know, just as women to have a seat at the table. But I do think it's what you described, Allison. Of You know, you look one way and it's about men sitting over here. We all want to be there. And then we look over here and go, oh, wait, but there's this, you know, is this, am I going to lose my seat? Am I going to lose my progress? Maybe it's that. I don't, I don't know the answer, but it is definitely a great idea to think through.
3: Yeah, and the, I think for me, the question is that I feel like if there's a white woman making room for another woman, she's usually white, right? So you know, I agree with you, Meredith, that in terms of being at the pinnacle, and I think I meant prominence, like just white women are more front and center. If there's going to be a woman who's front and center, she's going to 99% of the time be a white woman. And that normalcy extends to other white women for white women. And then when black women are seen helping other black women, there's criticism about why are you always helping black people and But when white people do it for white people, there's, you know, no one's ever questioning why that's happening. Nobody says, if you're a white person, why are you hiring white people on your team? But if you're a black person, you hire a black person. They're like, why is your team all black? I'm like, there's one other black person other than me. What are you talking about? You know, but that's the, you know, that's the bind. And so I feel like the question is asked. And I saw this uh, in an article this week. Uh, Some of my friends were circulating in in some text chats about, you know, about Black people continuing to be asked about diversity issues. I'm like, we don't have the power, the leverage, the ability to move things, to create room for ourselves. So why do people keep asking us, how are we going to solve the problem? I'm like, we are not the problem. Um, And so ask white people, Mm -hmm. when are they going to put money where their mouths are?
1: Mm -hmm. Totally. Amber, as you were, as you were all answering this question, I was sitting here thinking back to your question. Yeah. White women need to figure this out. You need to, we each in each white woman needs to figure out her own answer to that. Cause for me, it's a little bit of all that I'm, I'm somewhat with Meredith. Like I didn't, I didn't play with volleyball as I had two older brothers side trucks, but yet to your point, you had a very different experience in that store than I did. I saw someone who wasn't quite like me. You saw someone who was no one like you, you know what I mean? Like then there's the socialization part. And it's interesting to me as you all are talking that, again, it's another reminder of my privilege where I see only one of me is in business. I see me everywhere else, right? Or that kind of context where I can be selective about that stuff. But I wonder as we're talking about this and Amber, this is directed at you. And if it's not appropriate, I know you'll tell me, but the question I'm holding is what you just said about the DEI. I keep saying, it's my, if this is my work to do, it is our problem to solve as a white woman or white man or someone empowered, in to influence this, that you, you as a black woman, it isn't your problem. You are not the problem. And then when I'm out and about trying to make some of that happen, I, I sometimes will get, not always, like you said, it's consistent, but not universal. If I'm talking to a group of black or brown women or men, they'll say, why are you leaving this? You're white this isn't even your experience so i'm trying to i'm saying that cuz i have my own answer to that and i know how to respond to that but i i think that comes up too and what is your
3: response to that as as we try to try to do our work and it's our work to do well i mean i, I think we have to think about various bridges that need to be built and the absence of trust that exists and so i don't think it's exclusively white people's work to do i think that the sort of disassembling and rebuilding power structures so that they are more inclusive generally falls on the shoulders of those who built the structure in the first place. The influence of what does inclusion look like has to be inclusive, right? Because inclusion from a DEI perspective is not just about making room for me or other Black people. It is about all of us coexisting in a more collaborative and respectful and mutually beneficial way. And so we all have to be part of that. And so sort of when it's a group of just Black people with a white person talking about, here's what my ideas are about how we could be better. So that feels off. And when it's a Black person talking to all white people about, here's what you need to do to make things better, that feels off. And so what does it look like when we're having a conversation about how we work together and try to forge a different path that is more sustainable because we're all stakeholders in building it and preserving it. And we believe in it for the good of humanity, not just because it's the right thing to do, but because it really is about recognizing the full humanity in everyone. Oh my God.
1: I know. I'm sitting here going, I'm so glad we're recording this because I am going to figure out how to say that in my own words and live it, not just say it, but live it. Seriously. I need to take a minute. I got to let (laughs) that. I see Amber, I know. Amber, this is why I thank you all the time because every conversation I have with you, you say stuff like this that hits me in a way that I can actually hang on to it.
3: You know one of the conversations that I had with Meredith, and conversations I've had with you, Sherry and Allison, as well about speaking up and making your thoughts and beliefs known, and that I don't do it to make a point as much as I. This is who I am, and I have been a person who challenges and says the things that others won't since I was a child, and so for me, it's really about owning that putting it out there with the belief that I do believe that if we can galvanize around principles of humanity, that we can make a difference. Mm-hmm. We do need to be educated and we need to learn and understand what, what people are going through, but there's some simplicity here that sometimes gets overlooked. Um, yes. And how do we get to that? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ugh.
2: But even not, there's not a but there. And <laughs> it is, is it that that concept that you outline Amber is extremely simple. Love it. And then my mind goes to, okay, practically, how does that work? So I go into the execution phase. Cause that's, I love that stuff, right? Whatever. But I'm like, it sounds great. How do you do it? How do you do it with as least impact on, you know, Is well, I've, does that even matter? So you make that face. I can see you're like, what impact? I'm like, okay, so if I were to take a group of people, let's say a small organization and pull them apart and say, let's just rebuild this to the way it's supposed to be. What does it mean for the people that existed in there beforehand? And I think that's where everybody starts getting uncomfortable. It's why things haven't changed. It's why things have not changed. Exactly, exactly. And, And I love the challenge because it's like, you guys are over here like, yes, that is the answer. And then that practicality and the difficulty of doing it Sure. That is exactly the problem. It's like, okay, now
1: that's going to be awkward and tough. How do we get there? Of course, and what what it gives me hope, and the reason I raise my hands is, of course, it, it that it's that simple and it's that freaking hard. Yeah, and, and like every every change or every dismantling starts with two humans, and then three, and then a hundred, and then five thousand. Like it always starts that way, right? Always.
3: And I've always said inclusion is a contact sport. And so you start with building the relationships and then you align and move forward and build momentum one step at a time. It is incremental. I mean, what's hard about all of this too is like there's no magic moment where like the whole world just kind of gets on board. It is understanding that you're never going to get everybody. But if it's really important to me, when you talk about business, and the things that business uh, is committed to, they're willing to dismantle systems, processes, teams, functions, and rebuild them to be better. And that's what's involved here. And I I think the more, and, and that affects people, people lose jobs when that happens, people lose position, people lose money. And somebody decides somewhere along the way and usually more than one person that the risk is worth it. And that is the calculation that has not been done in this space in, in some organization at scale. And it is about the threat to position. And if you believe that there is a caste system in the United States that is based on race, then it makes more sense. And you understand the structures and the impediments. And then you understand that it takes a sustained commitment and true action to dismantle it where you can, as you can instead of walking away from the whole thing and calling it hopeless because it's just too big a problem to solve, which I think is the other thing that happens. Um, So I don't have all of the answers, but the answers are there. Um, But the commitment and the passion and the courage to take it on in a sustained way with critical mass is still what, what needs to occur.
2: Think about this, Sherry. We work with a whole bunch of organizations that have gone through transformational change in the last, whether, whether with or in or around, or just read about them, right? This huge transformational change in ways of working and how you operate. What if they took the same approach and right. did exactly that simple thing that is so incredibly hard? Yes. With respect to inclusion. Yes.
0: Right, Meredith, because to your point, many, many giant companies some who most of us used to work for, would never have had mobile workforces until they had to. So all these organizations that thought a big, giant transformation like this was totally impossible, would you know, be completely impossible to pull off at that scale when they had to, made it work. So that, that forcing function did it. It's just getting the right forcing function when is, it, when is it painful or when is it important enough or fill in the blanks? But whatever that is, change can happen at scale when it's time, when it has to. Your metaphor, or your, your example of saying, well, you know, you think about doing this and you think about an organization they're like, wow, that's going to be really hard. Some might lose jobs. Well, yeah. And a lot of other good things might come out of it. Like that's kind of where my head went and everyone says that might happen. It also might not. Things might be better. There might be more jobs. That's, that's one possibility. I, disruption
3: I is painful and you do have to acknowledge that. Yeah. But it, it totally should be fair. an excuse to move forward.
0: Right. That's totally fair, but it's not insurmountable.
1: Yeah. But any, any changes. So please know, I don't want, when people listen to this, I don't want people calling me going, I can't believe you compared what you're about to say to race. So let me just say, I'm not, I'm just using <laughs> this as an example. So when we're on these cross-functional teams, as we've we've all been on in our career, and I'm I'm on the cross-functional team, and Amber and Meredith are bringing us all the legal expertise they have. Allison's bringing the marketing. I don't have the same lived marketing experience that Allison has, and I trust her to do, to hear that and not have to live it myself before I acknowledge it, accept it, and act on it. And my point is, we have all kinds of different parts of our lived experience that we don't each have that is a natural part of trust and required in business to accomplish anything. None of us all bring all the answers to any, any kind of system we're trying to dismantle, co-create, whatever. And so I feel like that's why I feel like business, I have so much hope in it, is because those business systems are great at producing exactly what they're intended for. And if we could figure out how to produce a system that is intended for inclusion, it will change the world. And so that's what gets me fired up is, yes, it's hard. It'll be disruption. It's that, yes, and that's where the growth is. And look at the hope we have with all these, because if we can figure out how to do that to your point, Amber, and trust each other enough to say that doesn't have to be my lived experience for me to accept it, acknowledge it, and value it, where could we go with just that little, little experiment of trust?
3: I don't think the how is the reason the needle isn't moving. I don't either. That's my point. Yeah. It's the resistance to giving up power Mm -hmm. at its core.
2: Yeah. I would, I would agree with that. But I'd also say the understanding of taking away the, the mystic, the mystical part of the how, like, honestly, before we had this, like, I was like, I don't know how to make that massive change. And I'm like, wait, organizations do it every freaking day every day we're not going to do this anymore we're now going to do it this way and this org structure doesn't exist anymore because we've just done this and this and this and this and this and now you worked there now you're going to go over here um, or you're not going to work here anymore <laughs> whatever so for me that realization is a huge piece gone but
1: now we're back down to the core right to your point of it's bigger than this it is. It's like what you're saying is, OK, that's all great. But until the person responsible for changing that system <laughs> says it's going to change, it's still not going to change.
3: Right. Or it'll be incremental.
1: Yeah. Or it's incremental.
3: Or, or an incremental to a point where it kind of levels off. Yeah. I mean, this is just a space and I'm not being specific. I'm talking generally where people get credit for trying without any real progress demonstrable, quantifiable progress being made and where we're really still excited by tokenism. Um, so where you get the first black president, everybody's like, racism solved. all <laughs> over, it's done. Done.
1: Amber, you're yeah. so cause that is one of the most powerful conversations you and I had months and months and months ago when we, we got into those many different rabbit holes around activity versus impact. To your point, it, I mean, it has stuck with me that what we were talking about that day, it's been it's so true. Meredith, I'm sorry you're going to say something. I was just going to add, with respect to your point, Amber, of first Black president,
2: now racism's over. In fact, it just became more obvious. You know, it just came out more publicly in my mind. It got worse, is what it I would did. say. It got worse. Yeah.
1: yeah, exactly. Which illustrates your point, right? Amber is don't mess with the highest seat of power. That's just complete bullshit. Like, how dare you people? So I'm cognizant of our time today, at ladies, and it feels important, especially given how recent the insurrection on in the Capitol was. The question I'm holding is, you know, how did you handle that? How did you see your reaction to play out the next day? You know, were you even interacting with anyone? Just what were the ripple effects of that as they played out in, in our work lives in particular? I can certainly speak to, to clients and how I handled that or with my own team. I'd, I'd love to know how, how you all handled that. What, what you're willing to share. I know it's also very personal. Meredith, you want to start? Sure. I'm angry.
2: I'm angry about what happened. I'm frustrated and angry and disappointed and um, all, all the emotions around it. And it, as well as the pandemic and the disinformation campaigns that have been going on, the facts that today a, a lot of this was a concerted effort behind the scenes, the fact that law enforcement was pulled intentionally away, the disproportionate response to the Capitol versus what happened in you know, across the country with other riots throughout the year. I'm frustrated and angry and to me, that was the culmination of when I'm like now willing to open my mouth. You know, I would say I'm real good at, like we've said earlier, you know, I've got an ease of going in all sorts of places. Um, sometimes I intentionally do that to go in places and learn information that may inform my understanding of people's perspectives because I can blend in without having to say anything. Nobody expects me to say anything, but now I'm done. And I found this note the other day that I wrote down, I have it in front of me now, which is how free are we if we constantly live in fear of saying the wrong thing?
1: Can you say that again? Can you repeat how, it?
2: How free are we if we constantly live in fear of saying the wrong thing? And I will say, looking backwards, you know, I, oftentimes I hold thinking it might be the wrong thing, whatever, what where it might be misconstrued. It might be, I might, you know, somebody might unfriend me or whatever. It, it's all sorts of reasons. But that last week, that's just it. And I'm to the point where, you know, you want to know my opinion of it? I think it was disgraceful. I think it was disgusting. And I think it's extremely dangerous. That's sort of my reaction. Um, and I'll share it at work. I'll share it on at home. I share it I'm not a big poster on social media, so I'm not necessarily jumping into that, but it it has been <laughs> it has been a conversation
1: with many since then. Allison, how about for you and then I'll go to Amber. I feel about
0: as strongly as Meredith does too. I can't use enough, I can't use enough bad words for it. I was so initially alarmed, but disgusted in some ways completely not surprised that that's what this administration has devolved people into just absolutely disgusted to be absolutely horrified that that played out the way it did. I am just in complete shock that people can be so deluded by liars and can just work against their own best interests so blindly. I don't know. It, it was. It, it makes me. I think if I had been traveling abroad, there is not a chance I would have admitted to anyone that I was an American. I just. I don't even know what that means anymore. Frankly, it's just. And I will say that to the most striking thing sitting there was watching all that go down, and all I kept thinking was, "Where's the tear gas? Where are the rubber bullets?" why are people letting those people walk in that? Like I happened to catch it right when people started going in the doors. And I was like, why, why are police running away? Like, it was such a contrast, like Meredith said, to every other protest that had gone on. I was confused. Peaceful protest, protest, I might add. I was legit confused for about 30 minutes. Like what? Are there actually police there? Are they not actually doing anything? It was just, it was mortifying on so many levels.
3: Mm
2: Yeah, real life, real time saying, what if they were a different color? Would they be doing the same thing? Would the reaction be the same if this was a group of different, a
1: different color of skin? Exactly. Exactly. Amber, how about you? If you're, if it's okay to ask.
3: I've been afraid. I'm scared. It is scary to see those forces let loose with so little restraint by the structures that are supposed to be in place to protect us. Um, And when I see in my local newspaper saying, stay away from downtown this weekend, and I have friends, lots of friends, Black friends who live in D.C. who are, they won't leave their homes right now to go for a walk down the street um, because they feel unsafe. And so for me, um, I've been outraged. Uh, I've been shocked and surprised, less shocked. More surprised at the response of others who are seeing some of this in a different light for the first time, but mostly i've been scared i'm like I feel like I am on high alert when I leave my home and I was thinking, if the weather was nice this weekend and I'd go for a jog, and I was like, maybe not through the wooded area that I usually run through, maybe I don't feel safe doing that this weekend so that's you know my predominant feeling right now is fear um And the safety of myself, people that I care about, that's what I think has been threatened when you see that this is not going away anytime soon. And so how will that inform how I feel moving about once the world is more free for us to move about in and for my children and the world that they're growing up in? And how do I prepare them for this? How do I explain what's happening to them and still make sure they feel confident and good about themselves and um, can enjoy their childhood. So those are the things that uh, predominantly I feel is just fear. Um, And it's a, it's an underlying low level. I'm not cowering in the corner anywhere. The world feels less safe to me. Um, After last week, when you saw that the infrastructure failed.
1: And I don't even... I don't know how to respond to that because there isn't a response for it. It just makes me want to weep. Um, and I, I, for me, a tiny bit of tolerance and civility I had left for those folks who have a belief in white supremacy as an example, I, I'm done. I have no tolerance. I had zero tolerance. Never had tolerance for it. I don't even know if I have respect or even civility associated with it. I'm kind of where Meredith is. I'm just, I'm done. I don't, I don't want to associate with you. I don't want to try to get through. And I know that's not the answer long-term. I just know that I can't hold that space right now. Um, so for me, it helped, it helped get things really clear for me. Like to everybody's point, if you can watch that and you can think there aren't two, one system of justice and one system of punishment now, you're just choosing to be delusional. If you can watch that and not see the contrast between what happens to white people when they riot and go in to cause great physical harm and threaten lives versus people protests when people have black and brown. I mean, if you can't see all that, you're just choosing not to. And I don't need to spend energy or time on you. It's not where I'm going to focus my efforts not that I was before, but I would have this conversation with myself where Sherry, that's not how change happens. You got to hang in there. You got to have the hard spaces. And I'm sure I'll circle back and try to take some of those on, but it's not, it's not fucking right now. It's not. Um, so that's kind of where I've landed. And I do have a lot of that anger and that outrage and my sadness about it is starting to be converted into fuel. Of okay, it's kind of like where we all get, we're now all in the hole together. Those of us who are awake enough to see, there's no not saying it. The only way to go now is up or to a new tomorrow or to an, so there there is a part of that breaking open that I'm like, okay, this is not that it can't get worse, but that's pretty damn bad, right? Like we can all agree that was pretty damn bad. So now what are we sure. gonna do? Like. Maybe it's the breaking point we need to start rebuilding, to your point, Amber, about building a new, you know, what's this new system going to look like?
3: So I try to hang on to that, but... It does you... feel like that's happening, Sherry. I mean, you're, you're yeah. seeing that pretty quickly, that I think the rawness of that and the proximity and time to the differing response. You know, I do see huge, monumental... <laughs> being taken when you see companies saying, I'm not making political donations and I want to figure, I don't want to be a part of that, right? So even if it's just like, I don't want to be associated with that. I don't want to be a part of that. I'll take it if it uh, gets us moving in a different direction.
2: That I think is hitting the nail on the head, Amber. Um, I've had that, I had that conversation yesterday with my husband of, I'm still disgusted by a political system who says, And and decisions that come out publicly, like, well, if I vote for impeachment, that's just driving a wedge further. Actually, no, if everybody was on the line to say this is wrong, that actually reunites people versus continues to diverge people. But whatever I what I did like seeing is what you've described, which is people stepping away from those who are behaving in the negative way and then you see this, well, that's the cancel culture. And this is this, no, those are repercussions for your actions and your choices. Yeah, and this is what, this is what capitalism is. And so right. do I like it? I mean, I'm glad that some accountability is coming. I just frustrated about the length of time, but glad to see corporations stepping up. And, and this is actually, you know, from some organizations, Amber, you and I have been in, historically, what the, what the leadership was saying was going to happen, which is corporations are going to be the ones to self-govern. It doesn't need to be the government. It's going to be the corporations that, that are going to help form the conscience
1: of the country. This is why corporate America gives me such hope for change. I mean, where corporate America goes, the world goes, truly, in, in many, many powerful ways. I agree yeah. with you, Meredith, in what you're saying, Amber.
3: We need hope to be hopeful and, um, and that building the relationships and even just the four of us having this conversation is evidence of, of what's possible. We don't have to retreat to our separate corners where we feel safe because everyone looks like us. We have to venture into vulnerability and have the tough conversations and keep trying to build these bridges and then see if we can grow them and expand them. I am hopeful, even in my fear. I get up every day and uh, I move forward. And I do believe change is possible because I've seen it. And um, the arc of change is long, that's not my quote. And we have to trust that. I I have those conversations with people all the time that what we focus on is the big events that are the big turning points. And we don't know about all of the tiny pebbles that got thrown into the water to make those ripples until they got bigger and bigger for the big impact that everyone could see. But, you know, it is Rosa Parks getting on the bus in the moment wasn't what it is to us in retrospect. Uh, and all that it took for, for that to start and for the Montgomery you know bus boycott and how long that went on before change came. But even when the change came, there was resistance to that. There was violence. There was a violent reaction to that. People lost their lives. And it is about what we believe in and what we're willing to risk. But the most important thing we have to do is persevere and not lose hope and then to continue to reach out um, and hold on to each other to move forward because separating makes us weaker, not stronger. And if we can have the conversations and say the wrong things and then give each other grace, then there is a path forward.
1: It's just the embodiment of what we're talking about here, which is how to fight forward continue the fight, continue, continue the discussion. So I love that. And I thank you for the hope you gave me back just right in that moment. Allison, I, anything you would add to close? There's nothing I could possibly
0: add to that. <laughs> God, I just, I appreciate that so much. Amber, that just made me hopeful again too. As I was sitting here in anger, I, just, I appreciate those words and I'm going to
1: cling to that and, and believe, believe in, in those things that you're saying too. As you listen today, we hope you get some introspection in terms of your own journey and, and where you are in this and what choices you're gonna make to co-create a, a more inclusive future, Are you gonna fight forward in your own way and all the choices you have, both big and small, and that more than anything, you just continue the power to enact change through your own self-discovery and conversation.